Well, don't you think it's interesting that when I ask the question of like, what is flow? It has so many different meanings to everybody. I find that fascinating. I find it um, encouraging too, because every person who comes to the mat is gonna have a totally different experience. And that's a really great opportunity as a teacher to create a balanced playing field, right? Uh, our class today is called Creating Flow Through Mindful Transitions in a Yoga Class. And I always feel like um, this is a tricky thing because it's not really about like this pose goes here, this pose needs to go here because it's, it's bigger, it's more esoteric, you know? You know, it could be like Brooke, which is ironic that you were sitting next to someone who talked about a flowing river, right? And a movement and energy, and that's what, you know, Brooke. But it could be about, like, uh, you know, um, a personal thing, like what you talked about. Or it could be about what you just said about the idea of that it's the prana. It's the flow of the inhales and the exhales. Um, so today in our tech, as we move through and talk about creating flow through mindful transitions, I want you to really think about that mindful word, right? Because mindfulness is all about paying attention and being present. So I think the hardest role as a teacher is to have that metta, that loving kindness. Now your handout, the way that it's laid out, it has, we'll talk about vinyasa and the idea of mindful transitions with vinyasa comes some key points. And then there's a basic outline of a vinyasa class because I know a lot of you are going through this space of, oh, holy balls, right? I'm trying not to swear. Uh, that I have to like really create one of these before I graduate from this program, before I step out into the universe of teaching. I have to be able to really communicate and, and create a 75-minute mindful sequence. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to talk today a lot about paying attention and being more present. Um, there's a man named James Joyce, and he once said that a lot of people live a short distance from their body. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. I, I know I've said it before, but I think it's really apropos because 98% of what we do is involuntary. Because we have that thing called our monkey mind who's trying to hijack the whole experience that we're having here on planet Earth. And all of a sudden, we kind of are very disconnected as human beings. And, and we're just kind of going through the motions or, you know, like how people say, like, being a couch potato or all those other descriptions and, you know, metaphors for what we're doing here. But in order to really be present and be here, I'm going to say this um, a, a couple times so that um, we get it kind of like um, put into our minds that in the Yoga Sutras, we talk about something called Shtira Sukha Asana, right? So it's one of the biggest um, things or uh, statements or aphorisms from this great book of 196 aphorisms called the Yoga Sutras that I really want all of you to know is that in order to find yourself present and accounted for and really mindful, not full of thoughts, but really full of space, harmony, ease, all those beautiful things that we want to have, you have to have the perfect balance of movement and stillness. And that, as a teacher, is really tricky. 
How can I shut my trap so that the students experienced and present? But how do I also bring them back from the monkey mind, the thoughts that start to always, we are humans, right? So how do you start to get rid of someone's samskara, someone's broken records? How can you be a conduit or a guide or a instrumental in allowing people to be free from those ruminating things that get the best of us? And there's lots of different ways to do it, right? But I just want to really focus on the idea of effortless effort, which we'll, um, we'll talk about deeper. But let's say it out loud. Shtira Sukha Asanam. Shtira Sukha Asanam. So we have Shtira, we have strength. And then we have Sukha, we have that sweetness. It sounds like Sukhar or sugar, right? And then we have this idea of Asanam. So you're balancing and finding the positives and negatives. And then with the asanam is the word what? Right? Asana. So on the platform of the breath, not just the posture, but the posture always sits on the platform of the breath. On the platform of the breath, I'm going to balance out my positive and negatives, my sweet and sour, my good and my bad my masculine and my feminine tendencies, my desire to be competitive worth with my desire to just roll over and give up, right? I mean, we could go on and on about those ideas of finding that. But as a teacher, which I love your shirt, how do we find mindfulness and pay attention and teach people to shine brightly? And that all comes through mindful transitions on the mat because if we can learn mindful transitions on the mat, we can experience through Shtira Sukha Asanam mindful transitions off the mat. And then life would be great and there would be unicorns and rainbows and all kinds of magic would happen. So that's really what we're kind of focusing on is to be just like Shtira Sukha Asanam, progressive, steady, alert, comfortable, as we pay attention to the breath, the prana, or as we sit on the platform of the breath. What I love about the idea of effortless effort is that you're not clinging, but you're also not resisting. Does that make sense? Like if you've ever taken a meditation class, which I really think every human beings should put their tush to the cush in the morning, they'd be way nicer motherfuckers. <laughs> they would, seriously. You know, it's, it, it would allow you to not cling and not resist your thoughts, but also be proactive versus reactive. Mm -hmm. To mindfully watch through the self-regulating technique of like, what's really happening between these thoughts? To balance out your strengths to balance out your weaknesses, and observe yourself as you are. I didn't want to make it really easy for all of you, so this stuff I, is not on your sheets. <laughs> yeah. This is just like my brain. Which, in a perfect world, as you're finding mindful transitions, you're creating a blue sky mind, or a formless mind. 
the thing that I really want to um, emphasize to you as teachers is that you're a composer, you're an artist, you're a designer, you're an engineer, you're a writer. Whether it's sentences, essays, music, paintings, or a really good meal, you're a yoga architect and you need to have a strong composition. Uh, we talked a little bit about this this morning. When I first started teaching, I got a compliment today about how seamless my class seems. When I first started teaching, I would cry. It was really scary. And I would have like cheat sheets and all kinds of different things. <coughs> I like sucked, bigger than sucked. Like seriously, like I'd be like, Hi, everybody come to the mat, you know? But the challenge is, is that like the way that you all are learning, you're not learning or memorizing a sequence. Uh, you know, like I memorized sequences from books, or I memorized the sequence that I had to teach at a specific style that I was indoctrinated into. You, you people have to create your own, which makes it a little bit more challenging, and it takes effort and time, and it's taken like, you know, 30 years of dedication and practice to be able to have my mind be a blue sky mind. Hmm? I didn't say like, I'm going to be the best mofo teacher in the whole world right away because I can work to that, but it's just like your yoga, it's practice and it's habitual and it just takes time. So you don't want to have like huge expectations because effortless effort is like a duck. Have you ever seen a duck? Right? On top of the water, they're like looking like quack, quack. Yeah, right? But underneath the surface, their legs are going. That's kind of what we do as yoga teachers. Because if we go in with an expectation like this is what I'm going to do, you might have a little bit of a problem because it might not turn out that way. It might not be what your students expect that day. So the mindful transitions come from experience, comfort level, practicing your own class, right? You are literally the composer, the architect. Whatever your passion is to get you in the zone, that's what's going to get you there. Is that making sense to everybody? Okay. So it definitely is something that is cultivated and nurtured, just like a child, you know, or just like a sculpture. Have you ever seen someone work on a sculpture and it takes them like 30 years to complete it? Because you're peeling away at the, like, the statue of David, right? It was a big freaking chunk. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the whole world. I can't even, like, understand how in the world someone could create such beauty, right? And I'm sure there were practices and mistakes and all that stuff, but it was something that was like, okay, I'm going to do this today, or I'm going to work on this little part here. And it was just this thing that took time to chip away at, to cultivate, and to nurture, to find that beauty. So as you are writing your book, um, or you're composing your food, or composing a beautiful, like, um, you know, like Beethoven symphony, this is an art. And it's not something where you're just going to go in and say, like, okay, this is what we're going to do, people, because that might not work out so well unless you've memorized the sequence, right? 
actors are really actually good yoga teachers because they can memorize their lines, right? So even if they're like that duck and their feet are going, blah, 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 they can be really cool and calm because they know that they know the next things that are coming because they've practiced it and they've memorized it. Um, so here you are, you're this amazing uh, architect uh, of yoga and you need to have a strong composition. So you have to have a good beginning and a middle and an end. And there's subtleties and nuances. And it is, um, you know, it's a practice, it's a process. You want to also, and I'm gonna highly recommend this as a yoga teacher, whether you're studying your PPDs or you're starting, you know, to take a lot of different classes and experience a lot of different styles, keep a journal. Not of your, like, you know, journal after meditation, but keep a journal of classes. You know, if you like a class, write it out after, or, you know, and then, like, study it. See it. if this resonates with you, that's what you're going to do. And there's lots of different styles. There's also really good books to read for class sequences. I'm definitely someone who thinks experience is the most important thing. Jivamukti has a great sequence book. Uh, Baron Baptiste has a style of power vinyasa that gives you a sequence. If you take a PPD with me, I have this awesome handout that I like to give out of like, you know, 100 pages of different sequences so that it can be in your sequence book. Uh, and another thing, too, is before you go into classes to have a ritual or some kind of meditation thing or some kind of grounding exercise so that you don't go in and be like, I just got out of my car, I still have my clothes on, and I'm like, blah, right? But that you do something. Some teachers wash their hands, go to the bathroom. Some teachers, like, have, like, little stones or talismans that help them to stay grounded. And then back again to this idea of effortless effort where you're working with the shtira sukha asanam. You're practicing the sutras. And Ellen had mentioned the idea of like in, uh, interconnected. Everything is interconnected. Everything is about interweaving and threading and tying together. So if you think about the breath and you think about the idea that all we're doing is tying and threading things together, it's just a vinyasa, it's just a flow. And our practice is a moving meditation. So all we're doing is cultivating this blue sky mind that we embody our, this moment, we drop into center, you know? We're not stirred up or agitated, but we're really sitting with the breath it might be movements, and they might be fast, or they might be super duper 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 slow, but you are just being mindful. So on your sheet, it says vinyasa. When broken down to its Sanskrit roots, the term vinyasa means to place, which is the nyasa, in a special way, which is the v. So you're, in a very special way, placing your body on the platform of the breath. A lot of people are like, oh, vinyasa means flow, but it's not just that. 
It's a breath synchronized movement throughout the class and you're using the breath to create a continuous flow. Sometimes I think texts are funny because all you really have to say is breathe and trust yourself, you know, and be present. One of the most common times to get injured in a yoga practice is during a transition. And this is a huge thing because if your, if your sequence is choppy or erratic or not really moving from the proper body dynamics, you could really hurt someone. So as a teacher, we need to focus on intelligent sequencing. And to me, intelligent sequencing comes from practice. If you're not practicing yourself, and then you're gonna go out and teach like 20 classes a week, something's wrong. I used to have this rule where you practice as many classes as you teach that week, but that gets really hard if this is your full-time livelihood, and some of you might be teaching three or four classes a day. So then you have to think about like, what grounds me? And how can I still practice and be present every day? Make sense? Another thing that we'll talk about is uh, to have this intelligent sequencing, you need to have an arc of a class. Uh, that 1983 song, One Thing Leads to Another by The Fix, is pretty much kind of like what you need to drill into your brain. Because if you have intelligent sequencing, you can have a peak pose that you're working towards. And if you really understand the transitions of how to get to a specific pose, then you'll have no problem having one thing lead to another. Is that making sense? Like today, I taught a class where our ultimate goal was to get into Fallen Angel. So we had to do a lot of stability, a lot of breath work, and a lot of twists in order to have the lumbar region and the thoracic cavity open. Should I have taught a Fallen Angel without teaching Crow? No, because it's an arm balance, it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a practice of stability. Should I have fa taught Fallen Angel uh, without having taught um, Malasana, garland pose? Yeah, I'm gonna do it right now, because I saw your face, yeah. Or could I, should I have taught Fallen Angel without teaching people how to do the, um, the uh, other ways to do it? the transitions up to it, the modifications, the propping, all of that stuff, right? <laughs> okay, so it really is all about a practice and it's all about really knowing how to fluidly get something to be placed in a special way. or else you hurt yourself because you're not warm and you're gonna do something weird. So I taught a fallen angel and I did a lot of twists. Should I have done heart openers? 
Would a heart opener have worked for a fallen angel? No, right? I mean, obviously you want to teach like cobras and up dogs and all that good stuff. And you can teach during your finishing sequence how to do like a backbend or a bridge or something like that. But basically you don't need to teach a lot of heart openers if you're focusing on your peak pose or the arc of your class to be on an arm balance or a, a, you know, like a, something that's more about... Um, uh, internal core strength. Now, obviously, backbends need to be in the sequence because they complement everything that we do, but you don't need to have it as a focal point in it. It's just going to be a part of it. But if your arc of your class is leading up to doing something that's an arm balance thing, well, I better practice like arm balance poses or things that are going to show me how to find containment because your hands and your feet are your your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands in your practice, so you really want to make sure that the center of your universe is strong. Cool? That's good. Good. Okay, so then if I'm going to do mindful transitions with vinyasa, which is the next little chunk of your handout, you've got poses that you would sequence, and they adequately prepare the body for the pose that you have planned. You'll have a wide variety of yoga poses that have a many physiological, energetic, emotional, and spiritual benefits to a person, but you have to prepare your body for what you have planned. Just like when I just asked, like, would I throw a back bend into a, a, a arm balance class? So one of the first things you have to figure out is what style of yoga are you teaching? That'll figure out your transitions. If you're doing a yin yoga class or a restorative yoga class, sometimes it is choppy because you're like propping yourself up and you're using a lot of bolsters and you're moving things. So like, oh yeah, maybe it is. Or if I'm using a Iyengar kind of style class and I'm using a rope wall, uh, yeah, I'm going to be really choppy and weird because I'm showing people how to prop and move things and there's going to be a lot of talking and a lot of hanging out. Or how about, like, uh, for number two, a specific challenge pose, which I call it a peak pose. You can also call it an apex pose, right? It's kind of like the arc of your class. So if you think about your breathing, you always have your inhales and you have your exhales. So that transition time is kind of where you reboot your superhuman machine, and then you come back to your inhale, and then you exhale. So you always want to give space for grounding. Uh, you could focus on teaching just a body part. So say like your focus today is arms. I feel sad for your class, but it, 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 then all you're doing is focusing on poses that affect the arms, right? Or say you want to do a core class where you're focusing on boat pose. Does everybody know what boat pose is? Navasana, right? So you're focusing on Navasana, or you're focusing on, I mean, think of like other kinds of things that you want to focus on. What's another kind of style that you could want to focus on? Or uh, body part, or that? Hips. hips, right? Heart openers. Heart openers. Shoulders. Shoulders, right? Feet. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's numerous things that you can just focus a class on that's just based on a body part. What if you want to focus it on like beginner, intermediate, or advanced? You know, I mean, a lot of times, like, you'll go in and you'll teach like a vinyasa level three or and a beginner's in class. So, you have to work from your modifications on up, but you also have to please the person who is there for the vinyasa three. Or if you are um, just teaching a beginner class, which I think is way harder to teach a beginner class than a more advanced class, because advanced classes you can move a little bit faster and people already have their ego and their expectations are still part of the package. So a beginner class, you're trying to figure out how can they drop their ego and how can they be really uh, easy yet effective so they feel like when they got out of class that they had their quote-unquote workout and they can get a result from the practice but also feel really good and know that on a subtle energetic level some kind of magic has happened that makes them want to come back to class does that make sense and then you have you might have for your poses that you need to figure out if you walk in and be like, what's a student's goals or desires or needs? It could be as simple as hips, right? But what if someone comes into class and say, like, something tragic just happened to me and I came to class because I really need to chill out and I'm not feeling right today. Then you have to kind of like figure out how do I teach a class that I can be an effective instructor and guide this person to find some levity in their life. Yeah, so I always think, especially at the beginning stages of teaching, like your style is very much you come in and ask what do people want to work on. And I think that's just so, I don't think I could do that as a beginning teacher because I don't, you know, like if I have kind of an idea of what I want to do, I don't know if I could just quickly swap out a few things, um, I think that's like... It's a conditioned response. It's very Pavlovian. I mean, and that's why practice is so important. But that's a really good point. If you don't want to go in and kind of like, you already have an expectation, you still have to find the ease to offer. Because people are going to tell you things. Um, but the, yeah, it's, it's just practice. It's just practice. And that's why a journal is so good because usually, and you'll see as I give you this kind of good outline to start working from as a template, you'll see kind of like, okay, this is going to be my peak pose. This is what I want to really focus on today. This is my theme and all that stuff. And then it'll either jive or not. And one thing is you cannot make everybody happy. That's a huge thing as a teacher. As yoga teachers, we have this, like, we're servants of servants, right? And we have this reason for coming to the mat, and usually it's because it's a lot of nurturing and caretaking or this idea that you want to share what made you feel good with the rest of the world from the practice. But as a nurturer, I want you all to remember that you also have to receive, right? In order to be a good giver, you also have to be a good receiver of nurturing and taking care of yourself.
so that you can't be everything to everyone. If you have a, if you have in your early stages of your career and you go to the mat and you feel like this is what I can teach and this is what I feel comfortable doing today, then stick to your plan. You just, some people might just give you weird looks, but people make weird looks all the time in yoga poses, <laughs> so don't feel bad about it. <clears throat> well, in that case where one person is maybe On a journey. an outlier yeah. of, from mm-hmm. the rest of the class, I mean, my thought is, couldn't you just have that person do everything on the floor or just kind of put that person in a different place because they're not going to maybe be able to do something super energetic that the rest of the class is? Um, that's, a great oper- uh, uh, that's a great idea. But I think also they came to be with people because they didn't want to have that otherness feeling. Okay. So... What if you just allow them to be and focus your attention to what your practice is going to be about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what Jill was saying is that I come in and I ask what people are looking for that day and work from the cuff. And that's a conditioned response. But if someone does come in and say, like, I'm not really feeling it, I'm going to lay in the corner and just do this, just let them be. Yeah. Because I think... Uh, you know, like, um, we're all taking the great vow to be yogis because we want to have that oneness and that inclusion and that, like, interconnectedness. So a lot of times people might come to the mat because they come to the four corners of the mat, they get out of their head, and someone's telling them what to do, and they get to just be. And so maybe that person's coming because they want to lay down, but they just don't want to be alone, right? So I love your answer. And, or your question, I don't know if it was a question or an answer or a response, but I think you never know until that situation. Yeah, because they might just need to do their own thing, or they might need to just work really hard, or they might just be like on their own little journey, and then you just like, let them be. Yeah, because as a teacher, if you're trying to manage, say you have 60 people in your class, and someone's on their own little journey, are you going to cue to that person or are you going to cue to the whole? Yeah. So the whole of the whole. It gets really tricky. Like some studios you only have six people in class and some people places you have maybe like 25. But like what if you had like 300? Oh, yeah. Or what if you had like just like 60 people? Some studios like their cap is 60. What if you're going to New York and you're like subbing for a friend because your friend got sick and you've never taught in New York before and then all of a sudden there's like a crap ton of people and they're on top of each other and they stagger their mats because they're so close and it's, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like your personal practice. Every day your body's different, every day you're so different. So we have to kind of like roll with the punches. There's a saying in meditation, let it come, let it go, let it flow. (laughs) So how do you want to flow? I guess it's like, how are you going to flow? Because your way of handling something, which is totally awesome and right, is might be different than how I handle it or how you handle it or how you handle it. I'm definitely not omniscient or like, like, you know, like I just... I know from experience and what works for me 
And that's what I want all of you to know and to do is that you're going to be beacons of bright lights and you're going to be amazing teachers, but you have to teach from experience and from what your passion is. So you have to use your most educated guess or your most compassionate metta, mindful, loving, kindness space to allow people to find their journey without enforcing your will upon them. Like my mom always told me, if someone doesn't like you, you just can't force them to. <laughs> right? But there's that quote, you can be the sweetest teacher in the world, but there's still going to be people who don't like you. Yes. Very, so true, Brooke. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, this, yes. Um, uh, thinking, um, I really saw this yesterday, uh, I think because we all have an inner knowing, and but if we are not grounded and kind of meditating and trying to, you know, be in our in a good headspace, it's very easy to get um, put off or affected by other people's energy. Mm -hmm. um, I was in a yoga class yesterday at Lifetime, and it was a substitute teacher, and was in a much older um, population um, for therapeutic yoga. And so they were very upset that it was a substitute, and they kept kind of yelling at the teacher, I can't hear you, and he doesn't do this, and this kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and I could just see, I could feel all these things, and I was like, oh, the poor you, know, teacher. You, you feel like saying, well, you teach it then, you know, or, <laughs> or you know, and then I, was, I had all these emotions going on, like, you know, just like getting angry at them for being so unkind, and then judging myself. How do you embody your truth? That's a great example. Yeah. And as a teacher, not to get swayed. Because like I've had people pass out and fall through a wall. I've had people say F you, and then I still have to teach the rest of the class. Like they almost like have Tourette's and they're like yelling, right? You know? It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it is. Even in that situation, just keep keep going, like keep smile. Smile. Yeah, I was taking it. Yeah. I was taking a class last week in a um, in a warm studio, right? And it was someone's first time. And in a warm studio, there's kind of like you know you don't talk, silence. It's all about creating peace and space. And and uh, one of the students said, "It's too hot in here. Can you turn the fan on?" And there were like. Sixty plus people in there, right? And so I loved how the teacher handled it. She just smiled at her and walked to the back and turned the fan on for a couple of minutes, and then turned it off and never went back to that area of the room. <laughs> because by the fan or by the student? Both. I mean, you know, she still walked around the room, but she handled it really well because, uh, you know, like. Your ego gets in the way, you're like, uh, you get kind of swayed, your mind gets thrown off track, and you might lose your insight for what's the next thing of the sequence that you're teaching and then the flow. So part of the flow or part of being a teacher is to be really mindful that you're not the only person in the room, and you're teaching to a larger audience. 
So you still keep the, the you know, transitions from, uh, you know, how to make it accessible, how to make, it, make a pose attainable. Am I speaking too much, right? That's another thing to think about. There's so many things that go in. What about, what would you recommend? Because I think that like talking too much is probably like an issue, but mm. what do you, what would you recommend doing when your mind goes completely blank? As a Yeah, when you just like, yeah so I call that a brain fart <laughs> yeah you. so you get a brain fart uh -huh. and you watch your students okay. watch the bodies mm -hmm. where are they in space what comes next in the sequence because I've practiced this enough that I'm comfortable with kind of going through the motions so where would I go if I see someone in Warrior Two and I have a brain fart? What would I do? Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> and another thing too is as teachers, and we'll talk about this in mentorship, but you want to cue like you're almost talking to a robot. Okay. So you want to cue three main points and then focus on the breath. And you add in the flowery language and all of the stories and the metaphors and the things that keep them present and grounded and in this blue sky, formless mind when you're ready. It's not like, I mean, and once again, you know, you're becoming a yoga architect. So it's not like you're gonna be like, I'm the best fucking chef in the whole world. And I have like, I'm working at the top restaurant and you just decided to cook yesterday. You have to learn, right? And it's a process and it's a practice and it's habitual, just like everything else. You have to really, really focus on the fact that it, you're taking baby steps. And then one day it's great, and the next day it's not. And then just like I was talking uh, with, saying to Shannon, it's like, that, that's your yoga practice. Your yoga practice now is your teaching. You might say a funny word, or it might not be good, or you're going to have an awesome day, and then the next day it's going to be like, you don't want to like, go teach because you just don't feel like it. So it's, a, it's that little dance, you know? And it's just like your breath. And that's why I keep inferring it's really important to meditate because you have to keep your, your self really, really aligned with your truth and stay steady and strong. So I gave you the duck analogy, right? And then like therapists give you the analogy of like, well, what you see at the top of a peak of an um, iceberg you don't really see or know all the issues below. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like a reed that's blowing in a field, you're not going to lose your grounding if you have a strong foundation. Make sense? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to blow. You're going to have to move. You're going to have brain farts. You're going to have all kinds of weird shit happening. <laughs> No, seriously. You know, what if you have to go to the bathroom really bad and you can't leave the room for an hour? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you gotta like think of all of these things that might happen and then just let it go. And be like, I'm grounded, I'm fine, I'm gonna stay here. It, that happened to me the other day. I I volunteer this is just about the brain part. Yeah. <laughs> I um, volunteer at a place where people are brain handicapped and I 
with the half hour class and the regular teacher was um, breaking in somebody new so she called on me to teach the last like 15 minutes. And, Great. And, um, well, I had planned what I was going to do when I got up in front of the class and my mind went totally mm -hmm. It was all And then yeah. somebody said, oh, let's do um, hamstrings. Mm -hmm. I said, fine, let's do hamstrings. Mm -hmm. And then after he, that got me going, mm -hmm. and then it was fine. Mm -hmm. But that minute, I just, oh my gosh, I remember. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Think about it like that's great because all of a sudden you're put on the spot yeah. and your head just goes like, right? You flip your, not lid, but you, 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 yeah, all of a sudden you're like totally disconnected. So you're exactly what I was saying at the beginning, like James Joyce's quote is like, you have this involuntary action. And how do you then stay grounded? You come back to the breath. <clears throat> get into the pose and teach, you know, like just breathe, inhale, exhale with the students, and then all of a sudden your body automatically knows where to go. You know all this stuff. I'm just blah, 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 sitting here and talking to you, but you know all of it. You're just finding that spark again, maybe that's been dim, like that candle. So now the room smells so beautiful. Uh, if you flip your page where after it says um, students' goals, desires, and needs, we talk a little bit about teaching from modifications on up. I've already mentioned that. Another great way to keep you in the moment and into alignment is to remember on item number two, Tadasana needs to be in every pose. So if you have a brain fart or if you lose sight of something, all you have to do is be like, okay, what would be a cue for Tadasana? Shoulders down or back. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. So you're talking about alignment, containment, finding your sweet spot, your plumb line, your midline. You know, all of these different ways to help you as a teacher stay grounded, but to help your students stay grounded is to be in alignment. And then breath, body, obviously, and then effort, shtira sukhasanam. So I keep saying the same thing. Breathe, stand in your truth, shtira sukhasanam. And smile is always a good one. I should add that. Smile. And another thing to think about, too, is as you start working into it, is to touch or not to touch. And that helps with adjustment and alignment. When you understand your students' specific needs, then you can focus on like issues, injuries, body challenges, and trauma and stuff like that. But you also have to give them space to adjust their bodies and have the ability to help them to modify for their specific skeleton, which is different than yours and different than the person next to you. And tools, uh, uh, and the most powerful tool as a teacher is your voice. So your verbal cueing, your timing, your pacing to be supportive, I think that really is a huge part of your transitions. Because if I go into a room and I go blah, 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 and talk like my mind might be thinking that moment, that's it. You're over. But if I'm grounded in my truth and I move with my breath in the way that I speak, 
it's going to resonate way better with your students. And then they have time to adjust. Oh, one thing I wanted to say as you're really supportive and motivating and keeping the timing with your breath and your words is if you are, because you talked about energy, if you are a person who's not grounded and then you touch a student and, and, and adjust them, if you are a really highly sensitive person, don't touch anybody because it will mess you up. Energy is a really profound thing that we don't talk a lot about in our culture because it freaks people out. I have one studio I can't even talk or say the word energy because I'm obsessed with it. I think you know your neurological pathways, our bodies, our energy, and once we start peeling away the layers and the koshas and you become more intuitive and sensitive, you have this empathy for other people that sometimes is a little bit overwhelming and you need to really remember your student's issue is not your own. So the alignment and the transitions that you're creating is much more important than touching someone because you have the power of words and breath. You can cue someone just as effectively with a word than not touching them. About yeah. um, having your students practice helping each other, touching each other in a pose, or if you're doing a workshoppy kind of thing, then I would say that's totally cool. But if you don't know all of your students, or if they came to a space where they're not used to touching, and then all of a sudden you're going to have them touch, you just have to be careful because you don't know what kind of traumatic issues gone on with someone. But if it's a consistent group that you've been with for a couple months and they know your personality and they're comfortable with you, then go for it because sometimes that's the best way to practice. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're working with like your mentorship team or you're working with like your group of yoga study teammates, totally cool. Totally mess around with and practice and see how it feels. But if you're going into someplace cold or like a community center or a place of a group of people who already have these expectations and it's really hard to teach an old dog new twi tricks, then you have to be careful. I just said twix. Twix. Candy. Yes. Mm, good answer? Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's, a, that's a very precarious one. And it'll dep it depends on the environment. Um, another thing, too, is that part of transitions or part of things that really help are using the props, whether it's a wall, a block, or strap. For point five, an inspiring theme. That might help you if you're like a writer or like to journal and you're a word person. You can keep the continuity of your class by interspersing your theme to bring them back to center. Blah, 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 oh yeah, blah. <laughs> that wasn't very helpful, I was being sarcastic. Um, so like an inspiring theme, say you decide today you're going to talk about the weather and the weather is the theme, right? Uh, or say you're going to talk about like, this day in history, or you're going to talk about a sutra, or you're going to talk about a word, or you're going to talk about um, 
things that are happening in our political climate, or you're going to talk about the body, or you're going to talk about an article of clothing or a talisman, and you have picked a theme. Then, when someone's in a pose and they're holding a pose, and instead of take, saying, take a deep breath, which you've said maybe two seconds before, you could say, let's come back to our intention. Or let's come back to the fact that we're warming ourselves up on a very cold day. Mm-hmm. You're seasoning like a, sh- a chef, and that you know this is a it's a this is an art that just takes time and patience. It's like a really good relationship. It's not always pretty, <laughs> you know. It is. It's not always pretty, but you have to find the compromise with the breath and the movement and the words. And you have to find the ease and the levity. And you have to also realize that, like, what I think would be really cool to say right now, the other person doesn't want to hear another word from my mouth. <laughs> that help? Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. And then from there, uh, so inspiring theme, and then your sequence needs to align with your class intention or theme. And here's back on that energetic effect that created that supports alignment, stability, and ease, your shtira sukha asanam. These are your two primary objectives of the physical practice. We're trying to create balance as we develop strength and flexibility, and we're trying to find a connection between our breath and our movement. So for you, shtira sukha asanam might be like, oh, it's some dumb thing I have to remember from the yoga sutras. But it's hatha yoga in a nutshell. It is. Ha and ta, the sun and the moon, they were in love. They just had to find some balance. And when you find that balance, one day the sun might be brighter. Or another day, the moon might have more power. And you're just working to find the subtleties between the two. And finally, on the mindful transitions with the idea of vinyasa being the word to place something in a special way, you have to find safety and alignment in the pose. So you all know If I'm going to cue Utkatasana, right, and I'm going to cue powerful pose, chair pose, fierce pose, whatever you want to call it, lightning bolt of energy, if someone's got a bad shoulder, well, already you know, i got to cue hands to heart. If someone is sitting deep into it and their knees go below their, uh, above their hips, we know that they're not doing Utkatasana, they're going camping. So we want to we make sure the hips are over the knees and think about structural alignment. You can teach a whole class based on structural alignment. Is that making sense? And it has to be safe. So if you have to say, okay, here I am in triangle and you all are going to cue me like I'm a robot. What do I do? Oh. 
Amish spelled. Okay? And you've gotten me into triangle. Now you got to do that extra step. You guys are so timid. Okay. I'm going to get out, okay? So here I am. Triangle pose. Uh, step your left foot out. Straighten the leg. Open your arms wide. Reach forward. Extend. Right? So that you really don't have to do that much. What if I'm going to go into a warrior two? Step your right foot forward. Lunge into the right leg. Open your arms out wide. Breathe. Now, how would I get from warrior two? Simply, right? Because it's all practice. How am I going to get from warrior two to a downward facing dog? Cartwheel the hands to the floor. Either side of the front foot. Step the right foot back to meet the left. Hips Step back. that one back. There you go. Yeah, right? So you could have said, illuminated warrior. Exhale, palms to the ground, step back to plank. Lower, Kataranga. Inhale, Urdhva Mukha. Felt good. Exhale, Adho Mukha. And all of a sudden, I've created a vinyasa. Right? So I guess what I'm asking you to do is to Use your words judiciously. Is that a word? Okay. So use your words. You all did a great job setting me up. But also, as you do that, try and think about, like, what's the next step? What's the next thing? If I'm teaching a power vinyasa class, well, do a vinyasa in between. If I'm just doing, like, a more hatha yoga-based, mindful, chill-out practice, then exactly what you taught me. Palms to the ground, step back down dog. Breathe. But see how there is just so much space between the two? And it really is about experience and practice. So I highly recommend you record yourself teaching and take your own class. Good. That works really well. That's like the first homework assignment for mentorship with me. Is this making sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, before we go into the next little chunk that I printed out for you, I'm going to have all of you write out a little bit of a thing. So we're going to go through this thing, this um, basic outline of a vinyasa class, and then we're going to kind of talk about like whether it's a vinyasa or restorative yin or whatnot. We're going to just kind of throw out some ideas for a peak pose. We're going to throw out some ideas for a theme of a class. We're going to throw out some ideas for like 
a gentle sequence, and we're all going to write it down so that we walk out of here with some ideas. Oh, how interesting. Coolio? Okay. So, basic outline of a vinyasa class. Well, the first thing is, is I hope you say hello and introduce yourself to everybody. That sounds like a good idea to me. Because what if they don't know you, even if you've been teaching, like, all over and they just decided to come to Minneapolis for the day or wherever they're going to visit. Find if there's any injuries, if you need to know anything about them. Don't just go in and like sit down and say, okay, everybody um, stand at the top of the mat. Unless you want to be known as that militant teacher, you can do that too. You let your, let your personality shine right away. Okay, and then you can start off with your grounding work, your class theme, your intention, your meditation. From there, you start to go into your integration, where your warming up postures are, right? So what's an example of a warming up posture? Cat-cow. Cat-cow. Oh, yeah, threading the needle, right? Parsva bakasana is what it's called, or balasana, parsva balasana. Elbow to knee. Yep, so from tabletop, elbow to knee from tabletop. I don't know if this is a yoga pose, but this is good for warming up. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like a yin pose, windshield wiper, yep, mm hmm. What does balasana mean? Uh, child's pose. Child's pose is a great integration, beginning place to start. Sounds good to me. Yep. Awesome. So if you're in child's pose, you could walk your hands to either side. What if I'm starting off a class and I'm laying on my back? Knees, knees to the chest, yeah. Spine twist. That's good. So you can do a spine twist. That's an integrating warm-up pose, right? I mean, you could start from standing too, right? If I st started from standing, what would I do? Yep, some side stretches, some forward folds. So what is a forward fold called when you grab your toes? Pada Gustasana, yep. So you could start off in a Uttanasana, fold forward. You can do some Padas. You could even do a twist, right? Okay, so another way is to move on to point four, where you have a sun salutation. You have variations on a theme, but sun salutations are a great way for a yogi to greet the day. It's all about stamina and strength and mental focus, and it creates heat as it opens up the joints. There's all kinds of different sun salutations. There's even a moon salutation that you can learn in an Iyengar practice. Mm -hmm. If you're teaching a power vinyasa class, would you start off with them right away? Yeah, you would. Yeah. You just watch. 
get them warm, right? Integration, maybe child's pose, come down dog, walk your feet to the top of the mat, roll up. Surya Namaskara A. Right, let's all say Surya Namaskara. Surya Namaskara. Awesome. And say that um, I'm teaching like a Nyangar class. Where would my vinyasa be if I had any? And where would it be if I was teaching a restorative class? No, ah, where would it be if I was teaching a yoga nidra class? No, because we're practicing sleepy time. Okay. Uh, what if you moved on to the next point? You're standing in your hero poses that give you strength and alignment and posture. What's a standing pose? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, no, we're going from beginning. Yeah, that's, this is your rough outline. Mountain pose with the back bend, baby back bend. Yeah, so what's mountain pose called? Tadasana. Tadasana, awesome. Tree pose is a standing pose. What's another standing pose? So standing and balancing, they're a lot of the same where you're harmonizing inner and outer awareness. Dancer. Eagles, warriors, half moon, utkatasana. Oh, look, you're all yoga teachers. Very impressive. Okay, how about core strengthening postures? What's something that you could add in to your sequence that's a yoga pose? And I already said it in our class so far today. Navasana, very good. Plank, right? Proprioception, internal strengthening. How about dolphin plank? Right? Yeah. There's lots of things. I mean, everything that we do is a core strengthener, but if you really want to, like, you know, make it a little bit more challenging, you can add in a core strengthener. You could say, oh, I'm teaching this kind of class, blah, 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 and I'm not going to have core strengthening. Because every time we breathe, we're engaging our bandha, so we're already using our muscles that are called our core. How about um, if then we transition down to the floor, we usually transition from like a balancing pose. What would be the balancing pose that usually people do before they go to the floor? Crow could be a transition, but a lot of times you see people do this, right? And then they transition to the floor because it's kind of a good like wrapping up of the package. And then I'm going to go down to the floor. So am I going to go to the floor and just say like, um, sit down? <laughs> right? We could be obedient like a dog, but... What, what would be a good way to transition? Yep. So boat into a Pashimottanasana. Do you all know what Pashimottanasana is? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're all go like this and do a forward fold, right? 
Some practices, they do jump-throughs, right? Some people, okay, so if I'm in down dog, because you did a tree pose and then you put me through a vinyasa, how am I going to get to the ground? And I'm not in a power vinyasa class, and I'm just in a... Walk you can bring your knees towards your hands. Bend your knees. I would have just said bring your knees down and come down on dog. Okay, so wait, but that's good. So we've got two different ways to transition. So you all are really, now you're thinking, this is good. So let's continue with this this one. Yoga. <laughs> okay, Malasana. Malasana. Yeah. Sit balls to the floor. Behind you. What? Place your hands behind your hips. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep, and then go into the Paschimottanasana, right? So that's good. And you can do that. Uh, okay, so now I'm in down dog, and then what's going to happen? Because someone said a different way to get down. So I've got a jump through, I've got a squat into a seated. And then you can sit back on your heels and lean over to one side and Oh, hero's pose, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could have gone back into hero's yeah. pose and done a little heart opener, and come back up, uh-huh. and then took my legs out. Just yeah. cross your legs. You cross your legs, put your legs through to a seated position, yeah. right? Fascinating. Look at all these different ways to transition. With squat, could you do yoga squat in a gentle yoga class? Because of the knees, probably not. But you could, if I'm teaching like a power vinyasa and I've been doing this all day, and then I, I'm going to come down, I can put my hands here and make people do crow with, on their butt, and then uh, do boat, and then do a twist, and then lower the legs, and boat forward. Remember that every pose has a counter pose. That's another really important thing to put into your mind. So if you're going to make it really hard to get down to the ground, I better like give us some kind of reward, right? So if I do do yogi squat and I'm going to lower down, I have been in classes where they just have you come down and your legs go out, but you have to end to Paschimottanasana. You just have to know if your clients have that agility. Yes. And by the way that you're teaching and learning how to teach modifications on up, you're learning how to make sure that no one jacks themselves. So if you think it's going to hurt you, don't do it. But if you're like uber flexible and could be my beautiful daughter who's very inquisitive, you have to remember that not everybody is as young and nimble as you are. You have to be careful. So you have to, your transitions have to be safe. Because even though yoga is a very youth-defying, you know, it keeps you very young and very... Uh, uh, you still have bones and cartilage and things that don't always like to stick with your mindset. Uh, So then we get into our seated poses, which are calm and rejuvenating. Um, And then we have our back bends, which are brave and open-hearted. So what is, uh, someone already said hero pose, which is supta virasana. What's another back bend that we do often? 
Camel. Yep. Bridge. Bridge, which leads to? Wheel. Wheel, which leads to? <laughs> yeah, in your world, right? But if I'm doing all of these backbends, then what's my ultimate thing I should do? A, what's a counterpose? You can do a forward fold. You can do a spine twist, right? Some people, if they do a stanga, they do a fish. But do you see how, I mean, it, you start to figure out. It's like, like not rocket science. Keeping people engaged with your words is going to be way harder than knowing the sequence. And your transitions will just come from knowing the sequence. Uh, then we've got um, inversions, which rejuvenate your body, mind, and your system. Shoulder stand. Shoulder stand. Down dog. Down dog is an inversion. Legs up the wall, up the wall pose. Headstand. Handstand. Crow is a, if you did like crow to a headstand, yeah, so arm balance to a headstand, right? But at this point, we're kind of winding up our sequence, and we're moving towards more of our finishing sequences, where we're kind of, we've gone through the arc of the class, right? We've had the beginning of our class where we set an intention, and then we go to our peak pose, and then we start coming down into our more grounding, restorative stuff. So, plow pose, plow pose, yep, because that plow leads inversion then. And plow leads to uh, shoulder, shoulder stand, stand, right? And then carnipindasana, your yeah. ear pressure, yeah. and then you roll out. Yeah. Awesome. And then you have relaxation, rest and dream time, your visualization stuff where you have relaxed awareness and you learn to receive and absorb your experiences. How long should Shavasana be? In a perfect world, 10 minutes. How long does it usually end up being? Five. Uh, two seconds. Some people want to get up and go. So our ultimate goal is to truly, really work towards the integration time. Where you have the rebound and you relax and you hang out and you really get the full effect of the pose. Um, in conclusion, I said practice what you teach. <laughs> And then you can take this to a higher level attention and skills that you learn on the mat and apply it to other transitions off the mat. So you can use this incredible self-regulating technique of breath to allow you to stay grounded during challenging times and life situations. Yeah. As we went through this, we named some poses, right? What's a peak pose? Bra. Right, yeah, could be. Crow, wheel. Crow, wheel, yep. Mm -hmm. Bird of paradise. Half moon, yep. Mm -hmm. So more of things that are a little bit more challenging, you have to work your way towards to, to attain, right? That it takes a little bit of effort, that effortless effortlessness. And then we have what would be a theme for a class? Light. Light. Spring. Spring. I like keeping like you know one of the yamas or niyamas in between. Okay. Like keeping the people. Yeah. Uh, what's what's a idea of a, a theme or an intention? Centering. Centering. Strength. Strength. Balance. 
balance, um, life. Life, there you go. Core. Opening your heart. Opening your heart. Calming. Calming. Hands. Hands. Peace. Mm -hmm. Presence. Presence. Love. Love. Right? Awesome. Very cool. Look at you already wrote your like things for mentorship. You got your class outline, you got your theme. Now you just have to be like really practice, 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 because all will be coming. It depends on what style. Yeah. Um, Your strongest power is going to be your words. You can't force anybody into something, but you can allow them to settle in and find their awareness. People are obviously coming in for the hero physique, and they're going to push through it. But when we let our mind relax a little bit, and we open up the lines of communication versus just thinking about, like, I have to look like everybody in the room, then they'll settle, they'll do it on their own. And it just is patience and practice. Um, knowledge can be dangerous, right? Go in with the eyes of a child so that you really do have a formless mind. That you do have that, like, oh, sparkly. And you just let people go on their journey because you want them to come back. Because you believe in the discipline and the practice and the timeless principles. And in turn, that's when the magic happens. It's not anything that we do as teachers. We're guides. But actually, when someone can actually um, realize that the guru is within and finds their brightness from the practice, and that's when the alchemy, that's when the magic starts to happen. That's when the beauty starts, is that they're on their own journey. And the bestest, bestest thing as a teacher is if your student stops coming because they start either practicing at home or finding that they want to take their practice further and learn more because they're inquiring. Or they move. Or they move <laughs> to London, yeah. You're all going to be amazing, amazing teachers. I think that this was a really awesome session. I hope that you learned a lot about um, creating flow through mindful transitions in a yoga class. Yeah. That was a mouthful. Thank you. Have a really, really, really awesome, awesome rest of your day, and thanks for playing yoga. And may the merits of your practice benefit all beings. So keep practicing.